Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepard. If you haven't rated, reviewed or subscribed yet, please go and get that done for me. It really helps us out. And here we go with part two of my conversation with a very inspirational man called Brendan Rendell. If you missed the first part, I'd implore you to go back and listen to that first. And if you have heard that, I'm sure you're very excited to hear the second half of our conversation that picks up just after Brendan has finished his John O'Groats to Land's End Challenge. We get into Brendan's 4,000 kilometre journey across Africa, as well as Delvin in to his next challenge, which is completely insane. Completely insane. He is one of the most inspirational people I have ever spoken to, and it was a pleasure to do so. This is the second half of my conversation with Brendan Rendell on Why in the World. I was very excited when I finished because I knew already, obviously, what we're going to go on and talk about. But I already knew the next challenge. Um, And to finish in that shape with no niggles, I thought, yeah, I'm capable of doing something bigger. Let's go there. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the something bigger. Firstly, where was this idea born? So, (laughs) when I finished Malawi, I'd come up with the idea of running the length of Africa first. And then I thought to myself, that's crazy. And whether it's the way that my mind works or whether I process things, I was diagnosed with dyslexia at 36. We'll go on to that in a bit about my why I think I run these big distances as well. And I do things like, so it took six years to do my degree. So I thought, right, the best thing to do for me, is for my confidence, the way that I work is to do little steps. Okay. So I thought, let's have a look at going across. And I thought, well, what better way to do it is if I tie Malawi in, we can run back through the school. I was inspired by the school because we've got a girls' hostel. We needed a boys' hostel to bed 88 kids. So this run was charity-based again. So then I came up with this idea that if I went across, that could give me a really good flavour to whether eventually I could go on and do this longer one. So that's how I drew up the plan. So I kind of thought, right, if I go across Namibia through Zambia, we're coming to Lalongwe, which is in Malawi. Then we come through both cities into Blantyre, into FOMO, which is a charity, and then into Mozambique. And then we would finish in the Indian Ocean. So that's kind of how, in my mind, I drew it up. Finishing at Joggle then gave me the confidence that I could do it. And obviously, within about a month, I then announced that I was going to run coast to coast of Africa. And as soon as you announced it... yeah. What was your feeling? Did it all become real? Because obviously in your head, mm-hmm. it was there. And it, I know what these ideas are like when they're mm-hmm. in your head. You're like, you're constantly thinking mm-hmm. to yourself, can I do it? Mm-hmm. Should I do it? Mm-hmm. Is it time to announce it yet? When you finally said it, mm-hmm. when you finally told people, how did you feel and what was people's reaction to it? I think I, I think some people, like I completely understand. You know, I think some people were like, oh, give it your best shot. But you could really meet, you could really tell that they meant like, you know, if you don't don't do it, don't be fine. Um, and then there's people that know me really well, and they said, "You've got it. You, it's in your head. You know, you can do it." Um, and I went into it with a lot more confidence. I'd ran Malawi. I knew what to expect. I knew how I wanted the team to work. I'd ran Joggle. I knew what it was like to run back to back. And I knew that you get fitter as you go. And I and I knew so much more. I wasn't going into it blinded like when I ran Malawi. Um, so I was very excited about it, but also I was very aware to respect the distance because, you know, a marathon and covering that distance, 
you have to respect. You don't know sometimes we we know kind of all of us what our bodies are capable of and we're capable of so much more but you've also got to think that an injury could come in or something could not go to plan but those negative things or things that go wrong you've got to engage because that's part of you growing and part of the adventure so um, I went into it um, people's reactions were very mixed but I was quietly confident that I was going to pull off um, something quite Special. Special. And I, I was hungry for it. It's a scary number, though. It yeah, is a scary number. It is a number. scary number. 4,000 kilometres. It's a very scary mm. number. Was there ever a point where you thought, mate, you've bitten off a little bit too much here? No. I was ready. I completely... I wasn't nervous at all. Because I just felt to myself, Malari was 708. Joggle was nearly 1,000. And I kind of felt that was over one summer. So, you know, even if I get to... You know, you're talking, you know, 1,005, 1,700, whatever it is. You know, that's, let's see how far I can go. And then once I thought, if we that's getting to Malawi, then then we'll weigh it up. And I always felt that, you know, if I, if I struggled at one point, then I would take a day off. Mm. I would take two days off. I just wanted to share the journey. And I just thought, let's deal with it as we would go. We got to halfway and obviously the message I always want to say is never give up. You know, it doesn't matter if you're first or last or your time. Sometimes we, again, going back to that competitive side, sometimes we get a little bit fixated on these things. And it's important to have personal bests and challenges. But if you don't get it, go back to why you run. You run because you love to get outside. You love to run because you want to live in the moment. So that's the message I want to send to people. We got to halfway and I'd run every step of the way. I hadn't walked any one bit of it so that became a challenge to myself that I said to the team I want to complete this challenge and say I've run every step of it which I successfully did Um, and um, so that was it so the countries we went through were all very different so going back to a bit of doubt but then you thrive on that doubt absolutely Um, so I ran out of the Atlantic Ocean and boy did I kind of not know that was what was what was going to come but it was just I still can't, like, a couple of weeks ago at work, I was like, did that really happen? I mean, it was epic in every sense of the word. So the first week, we came out of this really funny town, ran out of the sea, ran out of Henty's Bay, which is kind of a bit bizarre, across this road, and it was just desert. There was no trees, nothing, desert. And I couldn't fit, couldn't picture it, something to get to like a lamppost or yeah. a bird or anything. And it was just relentless. Like extreme running on a treadmill, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Just like that one place, yeah. one scene, yeah. one foot in front of the other and just going. And the third day was so hot. I was wearing my jacket back to front and um, they, we had this headwind and it was relentless. And that was the day that I was just, this is just, my legs were a bit heavy, I but... I always knew that when I finished that day, they're the days that you look back on, on the challenge, that they're the days that why you complete it. Because mm. the days you run well, you just run well. Yeah, you don't really yeah. remember the easy days, do you? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, the easy days are just the days that you just get through. Yeah, exactly. And the hard days are the days yeah. that you think, oh, like, yeah. when you're talking to people, you're like, this one day yeah. was awful. Yeah. You were just throwing round numbers then that kind of blow my mind and I know a lot of people listening to this will be blowing their minds as mm-hmm. well when you throw around 1500 1700 miles 
if you were to talk to 25-year-old Brendan now, okay, yeah. and you threw at him, you said, a few years' time, mate, you're going to run nearly 1,700 miles. Yeah. What do you think he'd say to you? I'd say, don't be stupid. What time does the club open? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking my third or fourth pint, probably. I would have never, never, ever. You could have thrown a half marathon. I would have been no. It's, it, it is insane and I have to pinch myself because it is crazy. So let's break down this challenge then, mm. um, this 4,000 kilometre journey and the differences between the countries because mm. this wasn't one country, this was a lot of countries. Yeah. Like you said, it was several countries to yeah. go through. Um, for you, what was the difference between the countries? Did you feel the difference in culture? How was it yeah. going through those countries on foot? Yeah, so Namibia was obviously very desert to begin with. Then the landscape tra- started to change and there was a night that we camped and it was beautiful by this rock and we climbed to the top of the rock and we had 360 degrees. You could, all you saw was trees, African plain. It was just magical. It was absolutely stunning. There was no people. Uh, waking up in the mornings and seeing an antelope running across the road, zebra, giraffe. It was quite scary. Some it's your own personal safari. <laughs> yeah. It was quite scary seeing some prints. Um, we didn't know whether they were lions or cheetah. That was obviously added to the challenge. Then you've got the snake side. So you've got, you know, we're going to the toilet in the bush because we're camping every day. Um, so that added a little bit more fear. We did, there was some venomous snakes on the road near the track where I was running. So that adds to the pressure. Namibia is quite um, a little bit more like South Africa. So there's lots of quite developed areas. So we, we did have people reach out and give us lodges. And there were supermarkets where we could stock up on some more luxury items like cheese and I was a bit, uh, my addiction was uh, Cheerios <laughs> and chilled cold milk. Um, and then we went through the Caprivi Strip, which is the long, thin strip into Zambia. We were stopped by the army. They were told that we, should, we shouldn't be going through by foot um, because lion sightings. Um, we saw many lots of elephants crossing the road. Um, and that was a day that we had to actually drive ahead because we had to camp at a police station because it was too dangerous to actually camp it was advised for us not to camp through the Caprivi Strip. So that's where we drove ahead. So I would then mark where I would, you know, by a tree, take a picture. So then we would rejoin that in the morning. Um, and then when we went into Zambia, within the first few kilometres, um, the party started. There was kids. Um, there's one video that I shared. And I just literally, I looked back down the road and right into the distance to small dots. All the villagers come up onto the road and... All ages were running, screaming, um, and our first night we stopped at a village and we said um, what I was doing. They welcomed us in. They went and got these old bits of wood for us to sit on. They said, welcome to our village. This is your home for the night. Um, and they were literally the old sort of, you know, classic mud huts. They went and got us some food as a welcome um, and we put our tent up. Um, and we really, that was the start then of this next kind of phase of the adventure, which was really an insight into Africa and how amazing, how diverse, how beautiful, um, and how kind the people are. And, you know, I call the run 98 Days of Kindness, and that, to me, is what it represented. You know, we live in so much fear, so much negativity, and it gave me so much hope that there was so much, there's so much amazing goodness in the world, and I was experiencing daily, as the team were. So going through Zambia, it was just, again, lots of people coming, 
joining, lorries started to beep because people would see me in Namibia. <laughs> That's so good. And um, one guy stopped and said, oh, what are you doing? And then obviously it got around what I was doing. So everywhere we were running, we'd have villages clapping, we'd have the lorries beeping. Um, it was like a carnival. Um, again, when we went through Zambia, there was lots more wildlife again. We went to Victoria Falls, which was amazing. There was about 13 days we hadn't showered. We hadn't washed any clothes. We were living on pastoral rice, which was most of the run. So it stripped me back of food because we couldn't get the choice because obviously you don't have the shops. Um, and then a woman messaged me at Victoria Falls and she said, what you're doing is incredible. I'd like to invite you and your team to stay at the lodge. And she came at a time that was just so perfect. And that day I ran 40 miles. I didn't tell the team. I wanted the team to enjoy Victoria Falls. So I had a shorter day of 17 miles. So we got up, I did 40, we got to the lodge. I did 17 very early that morning. And then we went back to the lodge and we went to Victoria Falls and had a day. It was amazing. And we saw elephants crossing the road. It you know how crazy. selfless that makes you sound? What? Like you ran 40 <laughs> miles after running however many miles you had before. <laughs> just so you could do 17 miles the next yeah. day so the team could enjoy Victoria Falls. I think yeah. that sums up the human that you are, that exact story. Because to do that for those people that are on that journey with yeah. you is just completely wonderful, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. you're the one that's supposed to be in the pain here. Yeah. You're the one that is supposed to be yeah. really struggling to run these miles and you do something like that. It's pretty amazing, mate, to be perfectly honest. Thank you, yeah. Do, do, you, do you find it hard when people sort of tell you how incredible these challenges are and how amazing what you're doing is i think what i've learned is that giving back and sharing is is an incredible thing and it gives you so much more mm. so when i was working back at adidas i wasn't learning loads of money but my life was eating out buying jeans for me buying drinks for me buying things to decorate the house for me but it wasn't giving me anything back where sharing something and giving back is far more profound um, and I work, I've work. i been working with children, like I say, with autism and learning to go to 10 years. So my life's surrounded by people that dedicate every minute of their day to changing people's lives. Mary and Keith of FOMO live and breathe it. I go in, I help, and I come away from it. I tie in what I'm doing. So in my, work, my mind, yeah, I'm making a difference, I hope, but I don't think what I've done is anything really incredible. It's just just doing what I've got to do, isn't it? <laughs> just doing what you've got <laughs> it's a mad way of looking at it I've read and I've heard about the sickness we should go there before we yeah. head to the end yeah so obviously going through Malawi was just a blur because obviously running into the charity I had hundreds of kids join me seeing the art and science block in front of me what my Malawi raised was very humble um, and then I'd got sick in two days in Namibia, two days in Zambia sickness and diarrhoea and I worked really hard. I pulled out a 220-mile week towards the end to try and finish with 94 marathons in 94 days. Um, I had six days left, six marathons, um, or 166 miles that I want, needed to cover over six days, and I would have achieved that. And I went to bed. I felt in really good shape, focused, very... I, I knew the end was in sight. And then I woke up. I had sickness and diarrhoea. It was like water. And I knew something was not right. I said, we need to get to a hotel and we need to get to one now. Um, I knew I knew from previous travels. And um, I woke up in the morning hoping to run. I didn't eat or drink anything. I was put on a drip. It was advised because I was dehydrated. Um, but I, the, the straight away, my thought process was, 
or at least my legs are getting a rest. I had to look at the positive. Um, and so I had three days, I lost three days, and I faced up that maybe we're not going to pull off the 94 marathon in 94 days. Uh, but I came back in 35, 36 degree heat and ran 166 miles. Um, I think it was five or six days um, to run into the Indian Ocean. I think that represents that we've all got that other level and I wanted it that bad. Um, and it reflected me going into the ocean. And, and you can parallel that to like an exam or going for a job interview. I was so close to, to finishing, but something went wrong. So don't think ever you've got something into the in the bag until that exam's finished, until that job interview's finished, until you've hit that goal. You know, if you're an exam and kids at school and you've got five minutes, go back through that paper, check everything. If you're going through an interview, go through your last few notes. Also, it shows like if you do hit that stumbling block, whether it is something small or something big, whether it's in an exam or a job interview or yeah. you lose a job or yeah. something happens in your life a relationship ends that you don't yeah. want to end it's just a stumbling block mm. for you that was just a stumbling block and yeah. you got to the end you yeah. got to the finish yeah. and you did something amazing your feet as they hit that ocean as you yeah. got in there that must have been an unbelievable feeling it was it was an incredible motion, emotional moment um, it was quite beautiful where we finished. We finished on the island of Mozambique. Um, two guys that came and ran with me in the long way that were from America had recommended we finish there. To get to the island, you go along a two-kilometre road. That two kilometres was my moment. Mm. I went Your through victory lap. My victory lap. And it, I got extremely emotional, and it was beautiful, and it was just, I'd done it. And all that emotion, and, you know, we were raising a lot of money for the charity. And it was incredible. And But I was tired, I was really tired that day um, and it was a mixture of relief and excitement because I think being sick that ill coming back um, you're running you know if, if I was that sick here you'd take two day, two weeks off work I mean I hadn't didn't eat so I was tired um, and I ran into the sea and as you know people say I thought you were going to jump in and I just I just didn't have the energy mm. um, but it was amazing and then after two days to absorb what I've done was just you're then on a really big high um, and it's like when you finish your challenges, sometimes that you're not on a high as much as you think you that you are because you have such a purpose every day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that purpose goes. You're like, right, what do I do this morning? Yeah, how did you feel after the challenge in terms of like that post challenge blues that a lot of yeah. people talk about? I didn't I don't I don't get it. I think what's important is is that I cut I got You back. don't stop. <laughs> I well, I I went. I was back in work within a in a in a you know within a week. So I'm working at a school called Ladywood near in Little Eva, and I'm back with the kids working. And we're we there with the class I'm in. So I'm a teaching assistant level three. I've set up a PE project. We're doing a John O'Groats the Lands End project. We've got ten boys with autism all getting out. We're running around a track. We're tallying up the total, and then. I put it on Google Maps. We started as a team on John O'Groats and we've gradually come down. We're putting pins on the map so they can so visually cool. see it on the wall. So like when I finished, we finished it in Venice. I then go on Google to show them pictures. But I then say this is what it looked like when I was there. Um, and we're trying to get to Manchester. So coming back and seeing, you know, inspiring people that way. Um, and it's another emotion, I suppose, because I've been to so many places. I feel would feel bad if I felt like I was flat here and I know I don't want to get into because obviously some people can't help but I just feel from the stories and the extreme poverty that I 
if I start to feel like flat when I first got back, I'd be like, you've just done something where people in offices back here or around the world would have loved to have been doing what I'm doing. The fact, the stories I met, they're never going to see things that we that I've seen. They're never going to get on a plane. I'll give you an example. So two of the orphans from the project, one of them came on a Malawi run. He cooked all of our food. He's an amazing guy. And Manuel is an incredible runner. And, you know, we drove all the way over with a support vehicle and they ran into the sea in Namibia. They'd never seen the sea before. But just share that moment. Mm. For me, that was one of my highlights. Because I just went to the sea from the age of... From when I can it's remember just, dot. For yeah. us, it's just, just you know, standard, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so it strips everything back. So, um, yeah, coming back and getting straight back into work has been definitely, for me, a very important thing. And and again, it's the, the days are very different. And working with children with learning difficulties and seeing their daily struggles put so much into perspective for me and makes me realise that, you know, I can't really moan about anything. It's fair to say that that first trip yeah. to Malawi completely changed your life. Yeah. Completely changed Completely, life. yeah. Where do you think you'd be without that? I think I, I, think I always started to want to travel. Um, I had been to several countries before. Travel was always on my mind, but I think what's quite nice is it's made me want to do more but tie it in with giving back and raising money um but i think it's just made me a better person i'm not saying everyone go to a three a third world country to become but it's just for me it's just felt like a natural progression of life it's not being thought out it's just i get a gut feeling and then another, another door opens I've n- i never set out on any of this to be like i'm gonna do this it's just always been how i feel and i completely when i started this run thought I might get halfway across and be like, do you know what? Ultra running, these big challenges, I'm happy to be back home and start focus on half marathons again. You don't know, but obviously that hasn't isn't the case. Yes. <laughs> it's a nice way to tie this into the ending of this, I think, in terms of the whole journey. We've mm. spoken about your whole journey. Mm. We've talked about how you've changed through your life. We've mm. talked about how your running journey has changed from... Mm the half marathon, the bet, yeah. to the 10k, then right. to run in a country, then to running across the bottom of Africa, now <laughs> to doing something that you dreamed of doing. Mm-hmm. And this was the reason that you decided to do the challenge that you just got back mm-hmm. from. You're going to run the length mm-hmm. of Africa. Yeah, Cairo to Cape Town. Yeah, it's been on my mind for a long while. Definitely last summer's given me the confidence. Um, and I just feel that I know what to expect. I know what where I've gone wrong on my last three challenges. Um, and I'm going to be flying out the end of next year, so the end of 2020 to start. And I know what the next two years, what I've got to do. And I know that if I can get on that start line in the best physical position that I can be in, I know that I can give it an absolute. Because what I've taken from all of them is I don't even feel that I'm near my best. So going back to where I lost all the weight for six years and was running six minute miles and, you know, I did a 20 mile race up in Lancaster, I ran two hours 11. I blew up lack of experience breaking three hours for the marathon, but I still ran 3.13, I've never really raced. And it's not about that kind of speed on these big challenges, but then going traveling for several years and then coming back to the ultra stuff, I kept putting weight back on. So then I've got that battle. So I've always gone in. I did the Malawi one at 14 stone. I did the Africa one at 14 stone. Um, 
you know, what can I achieve on that longer, longer endurance runs if I get back down to 12 stone? I've never trained properly in a gym or done core work. I've just joined Chiltern Runners. I'm going to get out with lots of running guys. Um, and that's what excites me. And I'm ready to, to train really hard and work really hard and get back into that shape I was several years ago. Did you maintain weight during those challenges then? No, I lost it as I went, yeah, yeah. yeah but but basically what happened was when I got back from... So I think a lot of my weight gain later, the last couple of years, or the battle with it. So I went into all of them losing two or three stone. But when I got back from my John O'Groats run, I wanted to test myself also academically. So going back to what I was saying, I left school with no GCSEs. So I went back and did my GCSEs at 36 to go and do my teacher training. And then in the process, I got diagnosed with dyslexia, which was exacerbated with the man that diagnosed me with ADHD in terms of my concentration and things like that. So I think that stress of doing then going on and doing my teacher training then caused me to comfort eat. Um, and then I was on that cycle then, oh, I used to, why can I not lose the weight? And it was like a yo-yo again. So now I've got a full-time job and it's all about being in a good routine. Um, I probably put on about two, three, probably, I don't know, I've not weighed myself, but since this run, because obviously going into Christmas, I've just thought, do you know what, enjoy my food. And then the last week, last two weeks, I've just started. So I did a 65 mile week. I've just joined the gym and I'm really focused now to, to work with the team because I think, if I've pulled all this off without following a really strict fitness plan, if I'm really sensible, what shape can I be in when I stand in Cairo? And I really do honestly believe that I've not even reached my best yet. And that makes me really excited. Makes me really excited. <laughs> what an incredible story. And let me just put a number on Brendan's next challenge for you. It's going to be over 7,000 miles, which truly is unbelievable. Brendan will definitely be back on the podcast in the future and again thank you to him for coming on if you want to check him out he's at Brendan Rendell on Instagram and Twitter website links on there as well with some incredible support in video and photos of some of the stories that he told in the podcast on to next week's episode we have got Olympic freestyle skier Rowan Cheshire to get that first as soon as it gets released make sure you are subscribed to Why in the World rate and review as well thank you for all your kind words so far if you would like to let me know what you think of this please do tweet me at Ben Shepherd or send me an Instagram message I am at Ben Shepherd 93 I will speak to you on the next podcast